Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, är så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are super excited to announce that the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patreon Fantasy League registration is now open. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, the fantastic, wonderful, brilliant Brightcom. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, it is that magical once a year show where we announce that Kukupful registration is open, which is such a momentous event. Elon, that you are announcing it from a very special location. You're actually on vacation right now at a cottage, and you are taking the time to make this announcement. That's just how special the cupful registration season is to you. Uh, yeah, you can see behind me there's a cool art of a, some flower and a vase. Uh, yeah, maybe I sound a little bit echoey, but I'm going to do my best. We've got a really fun show here. We're going to talk a little bit in general about league design and specifically the decisions we've made to try to make the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League the number one league out there. And then, of course, we'll finish off the show with a little bit of catching up on the latest NHL news. I like to be caught up, right, because we did that four-episode series about all of the off-season action. Then, of course, as soon as that episode ended, Thomas Tatar signed with New Jersey, like Yaskin's coming back. So I, I just want to make sure we're up to date. So that's the plan for today's show. Before we get to everything, let's quickly mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the whole freaking world. That's the place to go for all your news and notes as random trinkets drop to us as the training camp approaches. So you want to always be up to date by checking out DauberHockey.com. But okay, with that, Brian, let's talk a bit about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Brian, you want to give a quick rundown of what that is? Yeah, I'd love to. So we always mention it as the Cupful, and what it is, it is the greatest fantasy hockey league in the world. If you win the Cupful, you can claim your rightful title as the best fantasy hockey manager in the world. We are across uh, several continents. 300 managers last season, uh, 14 countries at least. And if I want to put a number to the continents, I think we're on at least four right now. So if you want to know that you have beaten the best of the best, you join the Cupful and you compete to climb to the top of our ranked tiering system. So how it works is it's a pyramid format. So you start at the bottom, say tier six or tier seven, And through our promotion and relegation system, by winning and finishing high in your division each year, you climb all the way to the top of Tier 1 where you battle it out to be the Cupful Ultimate Champion, who last year is Dustin. So congratulations, Dustin, one more time for having won last year. But we are officially starting the campaign to, well... That will either be the one where you mount your defense or you are replaced by somebody else who has earned their way into tier one. 
Yeah, I, I like to think of it as Dustin is going to be dethroned, hopefully by me, because I'm in tier one to face him, along with some other really exciting competitors. But yeah, it's going to be a really fun season. And we've made some changes this year, as opposed to last year, we've decided to make it a little bit easier for people to climb, which of course means it's also a little bit easier to fall if you are high, and then you not, don't rank highly. So all the people who played in tier six last year, that one, there were eight of them, they're all going to jump to tier three this year. And then if you win your tier three division, you climb to tier one. So as of the people who joined last year, it just takes two wins in a row to join the top tier. Uh, and if you join this year, it's probably going to be a pretty quick climb as well if you do well. And regardless, if you do well or not, hopefully you're going to have a good time because Brian and I have designed this league to try to make it the most fun league that we can. So we're just saying right off the bat, before we get into the details, that registration is open to play in the Cacupful. You just need to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. It's one of the perks, one of the, I'd like to say many perks that we give to our patrons for uh, supporting our show. So for just five bucks a month, you could go to Patreon, sign up as a patron, and then we're going to get you the link right away after you sign up to register for the Cupful. Or if you're already a patron, by the time you've heard this episode, you'll have gotten a link to the registration form. So just keepingcarlson.com slash patron, and that will get you all you need to know to register for the Cupful. Now we're going to spend the next, let's say, 30 minutes telling you about our league and try to convince you that this is a, a good idea for your life. Yeah, and just to be clear... We end every episode by saying fantasy hockey is for everyone, and this is a place where we actually mean it. The Cupful is for everybody. It's a moderated fantasy league, too, so Elon and I are commissioners. We try and make sure everybody has a really smooth experience front to back, and whether you're a beginner or an expert, you're going to find the right division and competition for you, which is another great thing about a ranked tiering system. Let's say you don't want to go all out, or you're not ready to go all out competing for tier one. Well, we've got a bunch of people in tier four right now who are all similar skill levels. They found each other based on their promotions and relegations over the year. So that's another reason to join the Cupful that you can find the right level of competition for you, whether that's super high or super low. But I guess, Elon, it's enough talking about why you should join the Cupful, like the reasons outside the rules. Maybe we should actually explain how the league works. Yeah, might as well. That'll be fun. So uh, thanks again, obviously, for listening. I think anyone who's listening to a Fantasy Hockey Podcast still in August probably wants to climb all the way to the top. No one wants to hang out in Tier 4. But, uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder to climb up just in terms of the competition because now we've had a lot of smart people come through. Uh, it was pretty wild. Last year in Tier 1, it was like all people who had basically won for like two three years in a row. And then, unfortunately, someone had to come in 14th place. Someone had to come in 13th place. It was probably a really humbling experience. I've never had that experience. Maybe I'll have it this year because, once again, Tier 1 is obviously going to be very stacked. Uh, okay, so, Brian, yeah. Let's talk about the league. How about we start with the draft? How all leagues start? And again, this episode's not only about the Cupful. We want to just discuss in general uh, the decisions you have to make when you're designing your league. And we know that the main way of drafting is obviously a snake draft. That's how the majority of leagues draft. So you just take turns making your picks. One through 12, back 12, back through one. You keep going until your teams are filled. Uh, one thing we did last year, which we found to be a lot of fun, was we introduced slow drafts. So this is a feature that Fantrax has. And obviously, you could also do this like offline if you just wanted to do it with a spreadsheet. But Fantrax has this functionality where you can do a draft where it's like six hours between picks. So you, can, you, know, you can set the limit. You can even on Fantrax like set it to turn off overnight so that people don't have auto picks happening while they're asleep. And it's really fun because then you don't have to, like first of all, just schedule. Everyone has to be available at the same time. And also, we found it was a blast to be in like your league chat during the draft, like a draft that takes like two weeks. And after every pick, you know, you're in your chat. 
you're like being like, oh my God, I, I wanted that guy. You just sniped me. Holy cow. And you know, all of this different engagement that you get by being in your league chat. And also it's a good opportunity during the slow draft to start, especially in a league like this, which is like a public league where you're not necessarily playing with friends of yours. The, the During the slow draft is your opportunity to maybe make some connections with people, chat with them. You'll be able to leverage those connections during the season. So yeah, for the couple this year, we're going with slow drafts a little bit, obviously, just because it's hard to coordinate a bunch of strangers from all over the world to uh, have a uh, draft time that works for everyone. But I would recommend for you uh, organizing your leagues. I know obviously the actual draft, if you could all get together in the same city and like have a hangout and have a draft with an actual board like that's probably the optimal but if that's not the situation and you're planning on just drafting online anyways i might recommend a slow draft because it is a lot of fun yeah slow drafts are fun like you said it's a really great way to know the people you're playing with and of course in the cupful we do it to try and adjust so that people aren't waking up at 2 a.m. in certain countries who are playing uh, and everybody sort of has a fair shot. Of course, there is the excitement of a live draft and we're not taking away from that at all, having it, you know, your 90 seconds per pick. But hey, how about a little more than 90 seconds per pick just to make sure you're grabbing the player you really want and having a draft like the draft is one of the best parts of the year. So to have it run over a couple weeks instead of a couple hours actually just stretches out uh, all the fun and excitement of it. So we tried it last year for the first time in the Cupful. It was a huge success. We're going to do it again. And uh, yeah, it leaves a lot of time for chirps between draft picks too. Yeah. Uh, one lesson we did learn, though, the one frustrating thing about a slow draft is when like someone doesn't make their pick and all the time is ticking. And obviously, sometimes people are just at work. The whole point is like, if you're at work and if you're busy, whatever, yeah, you have time to like finish your stuff. But then there would always obviously be like a couple people in a couple of divisions who just somehow like didn't know it was their pick and didn't show up. But that, that's what Brian and I are here for because we're the commissioners of this league. We've got some volunteers that are going to help us out. we got some tech. Kevin H is building us a whole bunch of tech to make sure that this league runs smoothly. So, you know, we're going to try our best to make these drafts also run smoothly and reach out to people if like a couple hours have gone by we're trying we're gonna try not to let the clock tick down all the way to zero just for them at the end like oh man i didn't even know it was my pick but we're also not gonna pester you all day long it's a fine line it's a fine line (laughs) it's a fine line and we walk it very carefully we'll try our best enough space for everyone to breathe while making their pick but also uh we try and make it as expedient a process as possible (laughs) but slow drafts are really fun if you haven't done one you can actually do them all off season long if you're not sure on a slow draft you've never tried one just go to fan tracks make a new random league grab a few friends and begin a slow draft and you'll see just how fun the experience can be Oh, by the way, uh, auction drafts is another option for drafting. And that's what we do. If you, it's like the final boss, as Dave Benton has told me, of the Cacuffle, is if you climb to the top tier, the, in order to win the top tier of the Cacuffle, you have to win in a league that had an auction draft, which is a whole other can of worms. Every year, we produce the auction draft as an episode of Keeping Carlson. And so that's the whole thing where you have to bid on players and everyone kind of has the same chance of getting every player. There's a bunch of pros and cons in terms of auctions over snake drafts. And the big pro that everyone always brings up is it levels the playing field since now there's the order doesn't matter, right? It's like everyone has the same chance to get every player. Uh, so that's obviously another fun. It takes a little longer and the strategy becomes a little bit more complex because it's not only about, you know, evaluating players. It's all about this mind game of like how much are other people going to bid on this player so is this a good price for me to pay for seth jones the first d off the board there's a lot a lot more stuff to think about but that could also be a lot of fun and we're going to be doing that for tier one in just a couple months i can't believe the season starting so soon brian training camp starts in less than a month that's crazy i'm just just saying it (laughs) that's very crazy and very exciting and super exciting for our auction drafters is that we also turn that auction draft 
into a live broadcast that gets released as an episode of Keeping Carlson, where we interview the managers, talk strategy. If you want to hear how it's gone in past years, you can find these old auction draft episodes from past years in Tier 1 of the Cupful in your feed. It'll help you get a sense of what competing in the pressure cooker of Tier 1 is like. Okay, so let's switch over now to the scoring system. So obviously the two main types of scoring systems for fantasy would be a categories league or a points league. And then obviously you could get into the minutia of like which categories to use. Like if you're in a categories league or a points league, what do you want to count? Uh, in the cupful, we use a points league. Uh, and we, you can, we've done an episode like this kind of every year, like discussing league strategy. So we, d- we decided on this one not to like go in and repeat the same stuff we've said before. But there's obviously pros and cons. Some people love categories. Some people love points. And I really have always come down on the side of I like to be in a mix of the two types of leagues because there's the strategy of trying to win more categories than the other person. Anyways, uh, there's a lot to it. So the Cupful is a head-to-head points league, and the way that we've determined our point scoring system, we sort of started with a goal. We just, you know, arbitrarily, goals would say worth five points. And then what we looked at is how frequent the other actions are related to a goal. So a shot, we decided to make 0.5, because usually around 10%, you know, maybe a little less, 10% of shots turn into goals. We made an assist three points, because usually around 66% of uh, points are assists versus goals anyways yes we sort of worked out by the frequency of that we also threw in a couple uh you know minor categories like blocks and hits 0.5 for blocks 0.25 for hits uh we gave a point for shorthanded points they're rare and fun and one notable thing about a couple that's different than a lot of leagues is we actually don't give a bonus for power play points and our reasoning for that is pretty simple the players who get a lot of power play points are already benefiting their managers because they're getting them a lot of points if you're on the power play you have that advantage of being a player that gets a ton of points and if you look through our league rankings last year based on our scoring system it's all the players with the most power play points also ranked pretty high in points so that's why we figured no need to give an even additional bonus to the players who get power play points so yeah that's our patented cupful scoring system uh for the skaters we'll get to goalies in just a sec but brian do you want to comment at all on the skater categories for sure so again elon said this is our our patented system it's not formally patented yet however we totally encourage you to use our couple points and we put a lot of thought into this and we fine-tune it year after year so elon's about to get to the goalies too but i'll just say for the system as a a whole if you want to see it uh with your eyes, go to cupful.com slash rules and you can find the info over there. It looks better on mobile than on desktop. By the way, there's like this giant chart on desktop. Anyway, uh, a couple points about the skater categories. Uh, so blocks and hits, half point for a block and a quarter point for a hit. Of course, those aren't things that you necessarily want your players to be doing because they don't necessarily have the puck, but this is a way to give defensemen proper value so that they can compete with forwards. Elon, you already mentioned the power play point thing. Uh, rewarding power play points would just be overpowering some of the league's top scores and making it that much harder to make up ground uh, if you're not somebody who has enough of those guys on your roster. And then that one shorthanded point that we give, uh, that's been a, a bit of a point of contention because some people don't see why that's important. It's not predictable, even though it is uh, for some players year after year. And also it's largely inconsequential, which we know that one shorthanded point will, I think, 98% of the time be completely meaningless in the greater scheme of things. But if you want to go ahead and draft someone who plays on the 
power kill, so to speak, like Brad Marchand or Sebastian Ajo, you do have a chance of getting that extra shorthanded point when you need it to put you ahead in a crucial matchup. Yeah, so like Brian said, shorthanded points don't happen very often, but sometimes it's just like for fun, right? Like when your player scores a goal, and then you realize, oh, it was a shorthanded goal, I just got an extra point, woo! So just, you know, add some more fun. Uh, similar to shutouts for goalies, right? They don't happen very often. We don't want to, in a categories league, I wouldn't recommend using shutouts or shorthanded points because they're so rare that just some random team is going to win it every week, like one nothing, basically. But in a points league, you get the opportunity to just reward something cool without having it like take over the league. Uh, so speaking of goalies, so we actually made a change this year. So forever, it's been uh, two points for a win, negative two for a goal against, 0.35 for a save, and one or two for a shutout. And uh, we realized recently that goalies seem to be coming less and less valuable in our format to a point where a lot of people just chose not even to draft goalies at all and just use the extra roster spaces to have more people on their bench to you know, stream in as skaters. And what we realized is the reason or one big reason why goalies were going down in value is goalies are just like playing less in general in the NHL. Like aside from like your Vasilevskis and your Hellebucks, most goalies, like if you look at teams, a lot of teams are going with the tandem or they're going with like maybe a 60-40 split at most. So it became, if you didn't have Vasilevsky or Hellebuck or maybe like one or two other guys, David Dubnik a couple years ago used to play all the games. Now, good luck if you'll even play one game next year. Uh, but yeah, like nowadays it just made it that goalies rarely played. And since their points weren't worth so, so much compared to skaters, it just made them so much less valuable. So we've decided to make a little tweak and goals against have now gone from negative two as they've been forever to negative 1.5, which accomplishes two things first of all it makes goalies you know more valuable relative to skaters like vasilevsky now becomes the ninth most valuable player in terms of total points from last year as opposed to 30th that he would have been if it was negative two for a goal against uh, the other thing is we did a survey at the end of the season and a lot of feedback we got is people really hate when a goalie drops negative points on them that is not fun because you know you did, you know, none of the skaters are going to give you negative. We don't count plus minus and allow you to drop to negative. So people would get pretty frustrated if your goalie comes in, lets in three goals and gets pulled and you just got a negative six. So now we've taken away a little bit of the pain of this negative. It could still happen, but now we're only negative you know, 1.5 for a goal against. That's a whole 25% decrease in the penalty of having a goal against. Uh, so we decided, yeah, we're going to give it a try this year. Uh, and goalies will be a little bit more valuable. And you know what? I think it becomes an interesting question, right? Because someone like Vasilevsky, you could say now, like I said, he ranks ninth now from last year's points in terms of uh, total points over the season. You could say that now Vasilevsky maybe becomes the most valuable player in the league or maybe second behind McDavid because McDavid was insane last year because, you know, when you consider value over replacement and how Vasilevsky compares to like the other goalies under this point system, you could say maybe he should be number two and you might say, oh, I don't think a goalie should be like number one or number two. But honestly, like, why not? Like, especially someone like Vasilevsky, a rare, now a rarity in the NHL, a goalie that you're like almost guaranteed to play the large, large majority of the games and win most of them and have great save percentages maybe this should be the most valuable guy in fantasy as well i'd be curious to know actually if the nhl were to do a draft right now let's say if the nhl were to just do like a draft for next year one year draft and there's no salaries they're just picking their teams for one season i wonder how high vasilevsky would go he'd for sure be the first goalie off the board i'd imagine i wonder if he'd be like you know a top five pick or if he'd fall like i don't know i've always kind of wondered that can you name five other guys? I think the question, like, let's frame it. Can you name five other guys? Because I think GMs in the NHL and teams love having that cornerstone goalie, right? They've been chasing him forever, except there hasn't really been one since the days of Hashik and Brodeur and Wah. We see these guys come up like, uh, like Jonathan Quick, say, and win a cup and then not be able to win their team, uh, 
a whole dynasty's worth of cups or playoff series. Uh, I guess Corey Crawford might come close, but we never talk. We never talk about his name in the same conversation as those other cup-winning goalies who made a name for themselves as just being unbeatable in the playoffs. And another reason for that might also be just because the game is a little livelier now, right? There was the whole dead puck era where there weren't a lot of goals. It was easier to goaltend, although I think Dominic Kashuk would do just fine in today's NHL too. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if you're looking at where Vasilevsky would go, I mean, you'd have McDavid go early. I don't know if anybody else would go before Andre Vasilevsky. I yeah. have to say, I think everybody would be really eager to try and get themselves that rock steady goalie uh, that would hopefully continue to be rock steady. Of course, I personally as a real-life NHL GM, would never want to invest that much in a goalie. But I'll be uh, pressed with that same decision this season as a fantasy manager because there has not been a goalie as good as Andre Vasilevsky for, like, several years in a row in a really long time. Someone that we really feel we can count on. It feels like this is just the moment, you know, where Lucy is pinning the football and then I'm going to draft Vasilevsky, like, sixth overall in my fantasy draft and the, the football just gets... Pulled away, and I'm Charlie Brown, and the analogy. Because any time that we finally buy in on a goalie uh, being able to repeat some amazing results we've seen from them recently, everything falls apart. But things feel differently with Vasilevsky this time around. So he's going to be someone who's super valuable in the cupful for sure, and in real life. But what you said about making uh, goals against uh, less punishing for managers is one way that we've made goalies more consequential in the cupful. Because in some leagues, you have goalies, basically, especially in categories leagues, you have goalies making up, say, 40% of the categories and either win them every week or you lose them every week. And that's it. So the way we tried to make goalies in the cupful, we tried to make goalies optional and be like, okay, well, we don't want goalies to be as overpowered as we've seen them be in other formats. So we're going to try and make their presence a little more muted. However, from the feedback we got, Elon, like you said, people were feeling like goalies were actually barely worth rostering on a regular basis and they could just churn them over and over. So yeah, we're adding some value so that guys like, I'm just looking down the list, um, you know, Mike Smith's performance last year and Cam Talbot and Vitek Vanacek and Igor Shostyorkin all land in the top 100 uh, fantasy players, uh, according to our new point scoring system, whereas before they didn't so much. And also, yeah, you're not going to get drop negatives. The, the biggest complaint was, why should a goalie drop negatives on me when a skater can't? And that was part of the high risk, high reward play of goalies. But we've taken out some of the risk and hopefully kept a lot of the reward. Yeah, and in the end, you don't necessarily have to draft Vasilevsky since all the goalies are a little more valuable. And also, if a goal against doesn't hurt you as much, obviously, the trade-off here is that now we're making it that just getting more saves is going to become more valuable. So we are giving more value to goalies that maybe don't even play as well. So you can just wait and try to grab a volume guy. Obviously, in today's NHL, it's a little bit harder to predict who's going to be a volume guy. But uh, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. And the beautiful thing about Couple is every summer, Brian and I put our heads together, talk to some of our trusted advisors, and we always uh, have room to tweak. So we're curious to see see how this adjusted scoring system will work. Uh, let's switch over to free agents now. So here's also a place where we've made a big change. So for forever, we've been using uh, this system for the cupful, where basically every day, everyone's on waivers. So you can't just like grab a player anytime you want. You have to wait until the waiver processing time in order to claim your player. So it was basically, this was a way to even out the fact 
that, you know, some people maybe don't have their phone available all the time in the middle of the day. If it's all of a sudden announced that some goalie is injured and that everyone wants the backup, we thought, oh, everyone should have enough time to see the news. And then before the waiver time, they have time to put in their waiver claims. And, you know, finally, uh, it'll be determined by who bid the most of their fab budget would be determined like who got the player. But we realized obviously there was a lot of downsides to that. So there's a lot of pros and cons. I really love this like uh, fab, by the way, is the free agent budget, the way it worked for waivers which is still will this year but not for all of them uh but the way it worked was like everyone had a hundred dollar budget then every day you get to put bids on which free agency you want to add and then whoever has the highest bid got the player and so the pro like i said is the fact that it really evens out the playing field there were a few cons that we learned from playing and also from our surveys at the end of the year cons of these this uh only daily waivers and not being able to add players at another time uh first of all the what's more frustrating than like the middle of the day maybe an hour before puck drop you find out that one of your players is going to be scratched or one of your players is injured and you're like man i'd really love to drop this player or put my player in the ir and pick up a replacement to help me in this critical night but it was too late couldn't make an ad very frustrating uh also so frustrating that most nhl coaches don't announce their goalies a day in advance so if you wanted to pick up a goalie out of free agency in order to help you in a day let's say you all your skaters spots on your roster are filled but you have an open goalie spot you're like, oh, i'll just add a goalie but you had no way to know which goalie was even going to play so now you could actually wait until the goalies are announced and then add a goalie that you're guaranteed going to get the game from uh plus there was also this whole annoying thing on yahoo which again this is just a yahoo thing but that's what we've decided to use again this year because of the great ui and everything but on yahoo like if you have a player playing on a day and they get injured in the game and they've already been locked in on your roster you weren't able to throw them on your ir that night in order to make a waiver claim to replace that player so you had to wait two days to replace your injured player, which just made me want to tear my hair out. So we've decided for this year, we're switching from this like every day, everyone's always on waivers to standard free agents. Uh, So any player that's available you can basically add that player at any time of course it's if a player is dropped that player will still go on waivers that's like kind of the standard i'm sure any of you have played on a yahoo league ever know about how this works like i drop a player then yeah everyone needs to have an opportunity to see that you know okay elon's dropped this player should i add this player and then we're still going to have a fab budget you'll still have your hundred dollar budget of which to use to bid on these dropped players before they become free agents if no one claims the player then they become a free agent But uh, yeah, so that's the plan. So again, to recap, standard free agents and still using the free agent budget for waivers, but not for all players. And that's the plan for this year. That's the plan. It's a big change for us. We've always loved fab and the bidding sort of daily auction aspect of it. But like you said, Elon, it, it can be frustrating to manage a roster when you can only make ads for the next day, especially around goalies and goalie start announcements. And especially when a player goes on IR and you can't replace them until a day or two later. We've also heard uh, from our manager feedback survey over the years that the time commitment uh, and sometimes confusion with the fab system can be a turnoff. I mean, I know I sometimes sit down for like an hour sorting and ranking my bids and deciding how much and then I go to bed and I'm in bed like changing all my bid values up or down by a dollar or deleting them or changing the order so this is a way where you can just make a decision and follow through with it for free agency Uh, we also know though that having no holds barred free agency isn't a perfect way to go about things, right? Uh, The biggest counter to having just open free agency is that 
you're just gonna, it's gonna come down to whoever has the fastest finger, whoever's most available to check news and access their pool through the day or evening to check on player news and goalie start announcements, or depending on your time zone, or if you're ready to wake up at 3am when Yahoo resets the day, uh, that's gonna give an advantage to anybody who has one of those things going for them. But... Thinking back to the leagues I've been in, where you've had fastest fingers set up, where you can add a player immediately to your roster, I don't, I I have a really hard time thinking of impact players that were added, maybe impactful for one week, but not for the whole season, not players that are season making or season breaking. And the one example I always think back to, Elon, and I think we were on a joint team that also added him, the year's 2015, and David Perron is traded from Edmonton to Pittsburgh. And we lost our minds. Okay, he's going to play with Crosby. He was really good in St. Louis for a few years. He's really good in Edmonton for a year. And now he's been quiet, but he's going to pick it up with the Penguins now. Everybody go out and get David Perron right now. And then he proceeded to have 22 points in 43 games and be barely rosterable the rest of the way. So I had the fastest finger and was able to add David Perron, but it actually hurt me more than helped me. So I I think there's another angle of this uh, free agency, uh, like no holds barred fastest finger situation. Whereas with Fab, I had a lot of time to reconsider my decisions and rethink and process And now it's just going to be like in the moment, I have to go for it or not. And I'm interested to see how that impacts people's success in managing free agency. So I think the overall flexibility that you get with your roster with same day ads is going to outweigh any of the possible advantages that people are going to get from just being the fastest to a player. I think flexibility is a win for everyone and that anybody who does get a little win from being first to grab a player, it's not going to be the reason that they win their division. Yeah. And and like also like related to that, like when I think back to some of my most impactful free agent ads over the years, it was generally players that I just added with no competition, right? It was just a hunch. You know, I remember when Artemi Panarin was a rookie and he had like a good, like whatever first week and I went and grabbed him in the cupful. And I think it was like a $0 bid against another, you know, no one bid against me. I just like was the first one to think about it, I guess. Or like even you brought up David Perron, like a couple years ago, I remember he like went undrafted in my cupful division. And Brian, remember you used to be super down on him and say, there's no way he's actually going to be that good. And like, his numbers in Vegas were inflated or whatever it was. Anyways, I remember I just like grabbed him as a free agent. Like, I'm just going to give a try for David Perron. And then he ended up obviously having this amazing season. Now, like he seems to be a perennial, like 70-ish, 60 to 70 point guy. So I I don't mean to throw you under the bus there. (laughs) You might say a perennial. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, all that to say, we'll see. We'll see how impactful I'm with you, Brian, that my hunch is that the majority of free agent ads won't be like, oh, I lost because I couldn't get this guy because I was busy. A lot of those people get like overhyped about them. Then it turns out not to be as big a deal. Remember when uh, Grubauer got injured last year and then people were rushing to add Devin Dubnik? (laughs) And we all saw that. No, I don't remember that, Elon. You were rushing to grab Devin Dubnik. I mean, mean, (laughs) yeah, it, it was a really appealing situation to go and grab Devin Dubnik. And if I was at my phone or at my computer seeing the news, yeah, I might have gone out and grabbed him instead of been hesitant as I ended up being. Uh, but yeah, I, I see that situation. And also, full disclosure, Elon, I like me personally, I'm I'm one of the people who doesn't have access to my phone through the day. Like I do all my hockey news and fancy catching up in like, if I can grab five or 10 minutes during the day, great. 
Otherwise, it's like first thing in the morning and then later in the evening. So I, I I don't want anyone to think that we're putting them at a disadvantage. Like I am going to live one of the least accessible lives this season. And I'm not worried about it. Okay, I'm a little worried about it. But I don't. Ultimately, I think this is going to be good. Yeah, Brian, I honestly, I think this is going to be better for you. I think you'll do better because you'll sleep more. Because like you said, you won't be staying up at night. Because <laughs> the problem also with these like these waiver claims with Fab is like you have to have backup bids and backup bids. Because let's say you know for sure you want to add someone. Like a player of yours got injured. You have an open spot. And so you're like, okay, I can't just put a bid on one player. Because what if someone else outbids me? All of a sudden, I didn't get. So you were like, you put like 10. I would like go and have like 10 players listed that I hope I'll get one of them. Then like you said, Brian, you agonize over what the order should be of how you list them. So you're going to save all that time, Brian. You're going to get a good night sleep and that's going to help you make smarter decisions during the day. So I think it's going to work out well for you. So okay. Also, by the way, we've decided on a four ads per week max and no season long max. Uh, so I, again, I've told I've said it on previous podcasts, I think the optimal thing would be that I think four ads is actually a lot and it benefits people who you know, have this like streaming mentality and looking at the schedule. But it's so frustrating. If you have a couple of injuries, your ads can run out quickly. I've always had this idea that it'd be cool if Yahoo had a feature where we can say it's like three ads a week, but you get unlimited injury replacement ads. So so those ones don't actually count against uh, your limit for the week. But anyways, that's not available. So we're going four ads a week once again. We've had some uh, thoughts and some discussions. Maybe one day we'll change that. But for now, we're sticking with four ads per week. And the four ads per week also helps balance uh, the fastest finger piece, right? Because you're not just going to go run out and add everybody the moment you can. You're going to need to think about it. And you're going to need to strategically plan your ad. So if, if a player does become available on Wednesday and you're the first to know about it, you And depending on the state of your matchup, it might not be a good idea for you to burn a move on that player right away. So that's another reason why it's not always just going to come down to the fastest finger with open free agency. Clearly, you can hear me trying to convince myself that it's not always going to come down to that, knowing that I'm going to have one of the slower fingers. But I really do think that helps balance out the same day free agent ads. Okay, so let's move on to trading now. Trading is like one of the biggest things in like all fantasy leagues. Sometimes uh, if you don't set up your rules for trading properly, that could be the bane of the league that ends up causing the league to fold, right? A bad trade goes down, people are upset. Oh, the commissioner just pushed through a trade that obviously benefits him or her. Like, I'm so upset about this. Anyways, yeah, so we all have been in leagues where people have gotten really upset about trades. So one cool feature that we've added, which is not without controversy, but we think it's a pretty cool rule and a feature, as far as we know, only existing in the cupful curve currently of any public league that's ever been promoted is our counter offer mechanism so basically like think about it like this don't you hate it when a trade goes down in your league that's like clearly imbalanced and like if you're a contender it's always like your competitor that just got like this free upgrade and then you're like thinking to yourself man you traded jake gensel for martin jones just because you needed a goalie i could have given you a better goalie than martin jones if i knew that you were gonna willing to trade gensel for like basically any garbage goalie i would have done better well now you can like basically put up or shut up send a counter offer to the person who gave up Gensel. If they agree to your Shestjorkin for a Gensel offer, then the first trade will get canceled and the second trade will go through. So that's basically what this rule is. Once a trade goes down, everyone has a 24-hour window to make a counter offer to one of the participants of the trade. And then if one of the participants agrees on the counter offer, then yeah, the first trade gets canceled and we put the second trade through instead. So of course, there's pros and cons to this. The con is that it's very annoying 
for the person who loses out on their amazing Gensel for Martin Jones trade, that person's going to be very, very angry about it. But the pro is it's beneficial to the person, first of all, getting the better return for Jake Gensel. But I think even more importantly, it's also beneficial to the 12 other league participants as their competitor didn't just get a huge unfair advantage, maybe because they happen to be friends with the person who was the Martin Jones manager at the time. Uh, so basically, uh, all that said, the couple, we're a utilitarian league, right? The, the utilitarianism is the doctrine that actions are right if they are useful for the benefit of a majority and here we're saying that we would rather benefit 13 people over the one person and so that's uh, why we have our counter offer mechanism what textbook did you get that utilitarianism like are you reading a lot this summer <laughs> hey man i'm on vacation i gotta keep my brain active that's, I, I, I don't even know what school of thinking that belongs to so thank, so thank you to introducing me to the concept of utilitarian <laughs> i've been watching the good place so i'm learning a lot about um, moral philosophy <laughs> i watched that show too and that does not uh, ring a bell at all so that shows how much i pay attention uh yeah the, our counter offer rule is anti-ripoff trades anti-collusion and also anti-veto we don't want to be in that position as commissioners. Uh, no one really does where we have to try and objectively look at what is ultimately a subjective thing and hear, you know, someone else in a league complaining this trade is unfair. And then we have to weigh all the context and, and figure out and look for precedents and think about consistency in our decisions and try again to be as objective as possible and then be accused of not being objective. We have taken all of that ugliness out with this counteroffer rule. If you think you can do better than the offer that's been accepted, uh, that in your opinion is so unfair, then go ahead and do better. That's what we encourage you to do. This is a way for everybody to have a chance to avoid being in a situation like Elon described, where one manager takes another manager for a ride and everybody else suffers as a result. This way, everybody has a chance to make their best offer within 24 hours of seeing a trade being accepted. And then, uh, yeah, like Elon said, it, it doesn't feel polite to say this, but you can put up or you can shut up. But we're really nice about it. I mean, I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> well, I, and I said shut up. It feels rude. It's a, we could be rude. This is a fantasy. You got to get gritty and dirty sometimes. But okay, uh, I will say that like we have had this rule in effect like last year. Don't think it's not like every single trade got countered, right? It was like a very small percentage. Normally, you just make a fair trade. Also, normally, I would like even sometimes talk to the person I make the trade with, like, we're not going to accept counters, right? And the person, went, yeah, I don't, I'm not planning on accepting a counter. So, like, you, no one's stopping you from making a deal like that. Obviously, also, no one's enforcing that if you make that kind of agreement. But yeah, if you work out fair trades, it's not as if every single trade was getting countered. And it was like, not, that was like a big uh, feedback we got of people scared of this rule it was like, oh, what's even the point of making trades? Every trade I make is going to get countered. It's like, no, if you make a really ripoff trade that every single manager sees, and it's like, what the heck is this? Of course I could do better. Then yeah, that has a good chance of being countered. But if it's just a normal trade, like all the ones I made, I don't think I accepted any counter offers in a couple and I was pretty active. So anyway, that's the rule. So next up, uh, we'll just continue telling you about some of the rules of this league. Obviously, we're not telling you everything. You can go to cacupful.com slash rules which we'll link to in the show notes to get the full set of rules i'll finish this by telling you about the rosters uh so we have pretty standard rosters here a couple left wing couple right wing couple centers 4d couple util spots 
four bench. Uh, then we have some IR spots. We actually had a discussion recently. Uh, Tom Crowhurst was suggesting that we should decrease the number of IR plus spots from four to three. Uh, so I've always been a proponent of like more IR, the better. Because it's like already when you have a good player on your team that gets injured, that's like a punishment, right? Because you're going to have to replace this. Even if you could stash this player in IR, you still have to, you know, first of all, find a free agent that's probably not as good as the player that got injured. Otherwise, you wouldn't have, you know, had the original player on your roster instead of the free agent in the first place. Plus, you have to use one of your four ads per week to replace that player so it's like why punish the person even more by also forcing them to like drop a player because they don't have room on their ir because they've had an especially bad luck and have like five players injured so at least we you know that's why i always thought it was better to have four ir spots but tom crowers and he brought up a good point that some people could use ir spots to their advantage in a strategic way like you know first of all if there's a free agent that's injured and you have an open ir spot just stash that person in your ir if you happen to have an extra ad that you weren't planning on using that week then later on you could use that almost like a free ad in a following week when that player becomes healthy you bring them onto your roster for one of their games before you drop them and so yeah there's a lot of like strategies that you can implement by having your uh, ir spots used to the max uh and so brian and i considered it and for this year tom we're gonna keep it as for ir spots but definitely something we're gonna watch and uh, it's too bad actually yahoo drops the ball here with this because fantrax is some great features so i'd recommend anyone who's using fantrax for their leagues i would recommend if you're using ir spots i would recommend use a bunch of them but use these features on fantrax they make it first of all they have a setting where you can make rosters illegal if ineligible players are in ir for more than like a day like you could set the amount of time so you could say yeah you could go stash a bunch of people in your ir but you can't just leave them there indefinitely like on yahoo where you can just wait to take them out whenever you want obviously on yahoo your uh, ads get blocked if you have an ineligible player on ir so it's not like you're totally free to do whatever you want but fantrax you can make it even harsher of a penalty also uh fantrax has this really great feature which i would give anything for yahoo to add uh they have a feature where they just don't let you add an injured player if there's a free agent that's injured you can't add them to your team you have to wait till they're healthy so that way no one would be able to just go and stash you know, someone to, you know, activate later. I remember in Cuckupful last year, I stashed UC Saros while he was injured. And we all know how that worked out for me. It was amazing. And I don't think I would have added him based on how he did at the start of the year, right? He would have just stayed in free agency. It was only because he was injured that I was like, okay, I guess I'll add this guy. It doesn't cost me a roster spot. And uh, yeah, I benefited a lot. So all that said, that's our, uh, those are our rosters. Those are the rosters. Yeah, the IR spots is, we, we just want a lot. There's a lot of forgiveness in Slack. The idea is that it helps people whose rosters are being decimated. And like you said, Elon, it's punishment enough if you have four players that you'd like to have on your active roster who have all gone down to injury and you have to just keep replacing them. And I think we're understanding about that versus uh, trying to have fewer IR spots to prevent stashing, which of course is going to happen if people want to burn one of their four weekly moves on a stash. Hey, you have the right to do that. But I think people have more to gain from having those four spots of flexibility um, than uh, those who want to use them for other more strategic stashing purposes. And I think if we did take it down to three spots or fewer, we'd just be punishing people uh, by ha- for, who have had players on their roster get injured even more. So it's, it's definitely not the perfect solution. Like you said, Elon, I think the perfect solution is probably on fan tracks where you can't even move players between active and bench spots on your roster. If you have someone ineligible in IR, I think that's beautiful. And I would love, there's so much of Fantrax I'd love to see on Yahoo, but Yahoo has a very pretty interface. 
Yeah. By the way, Fantrax, you have even other options. You can make it that the roster is illegal. Like you could say you don't score any points this day if you have an ineligible people on your IR. So it's very, yeah, I, we're not being paid by Fantrax. We're not even using Fantrax, but I do think they have so much flexibility. Fantrax, please make an app that people could use. Like we used to use Fantrax on the couple and a lot of people would end up, you know, complaining and not playing because they weren't able to, you know, I don't know. Some people, you know, aren't super users like Brian and I maybe like wouldn't be able to perfectly know how to use the system. And, and so that's why we use Yahoo. It's like very uh, even and everyone's like very easy to know how to add players and put people in and out of your roster. So anyways, that's why we're using Yahoo. But yeah, some of those features on Fatrax make me drool. I'm not going to lie. Some of them you have to pay extra for. Yeah, the Fantrax features are amazing. And I guess like there is a whole platform war, right, in fantasy hockey. Which one is the best? Yahoo is the one. It, gi- it gives you what you need without a ton of flexibility. We'd love to have more, but it's really, really simple and straightforward to use. And like, it's fun to use. Fantrax feels like more of a chore to use and has a learning curve for any new managers. But if you really want to dig in and get dedicated, it is definitely the most powerful platform out there. If you use ESPN, sure, like go ahead. I don't see any real advantage that ESPN has over Yahoo. And then there's some others like CBS and Flea Flicker, which I don't see as being even comparable to ESPN. So that's how I would rank the fantasy platforms. You've got Fantrax and Yahoo at the top for different reasons. Choose your flavor. And then ESPN just a little bit down and then the rest. Yeah, and to be fair, I actually haven't used ESPN in quite a few years. So if someone out there is hosting their league on ESPN and has reasons why they think it's better than Yahoo now, because I know they have like an app that's pretty easy to use also. But I remember there were other frustrations with using ESPN. But if you're using it and you think it's really good, please let us know. We could consider it potentially for a future season of the Cupful. Okay, so Brian, I guess let's wrap up uh, talking about the Cupful rules. We could go on forever going into the minutia of every little rule. But we really think we've uh, designed a really fun league that is engaging for everyone. I guess the last like thing I'll say to promote the Cupful is, again, you've got the active commissioners. You've got Brian and making sure this is going to be a fun league which you don't always get with other public leagues that you can join like for example it's very important to us that teams are active i don't know if any of you have ever had the experience of joining some public league from some other podcast you listen to or whatever maybe even a couple in the past when we weren't as good at this but you know sometimes people especially people who are doing badly will end up you know stopping to manage their rosters maybe they just have players on their bench when they shouldn't and they, they've clearly just abandoned the team basically and that can be very frustrating obviously it's it's fine if you're playing against that person that's abandoned their team and you get the easy win but it's very frustrating if you're competing against someone who's playing against someone who's abandoned their team because they're getting a free win while you earlier on in the season when you play that same team you had to fight to win your matchup and so we're just going to do everything we can as we did last year we're going to do even better this year kevin Ebert has built us some really great tools to try to track and catch really quickly when someone has abandoned their team and yeah if we see a team go inactive we're going to message that manager right away be like hey uh, one of the things, the minimum thing we ask of all of our couple managers, you need to be setting your lineups every day. We don't want to see active players on your bench. We want you to be managing your IR. Uh, you know, if a player is injured, put him in your IR. If the player is healthy, if McDavid is back. I don't want to see McDavid in your IR while he's playing games. That makes no sense. Okay. So we're, we're a bit harsh. I know Brian wants to say like, we're so nice, but like, I'm not going to be that nice to inactive teams. Like, obviously we're going to like mistakes happen. Like sometimes, you know, you just had a busy couple days at work. Like, obviously we're not just going to kick people out the second that they don't. Don't manage your team for a day, but we're definitely going to message inactive managers, ask them to, you know, set their lineups. And if they write back saying, sorry, you know, whatever, then fine. But if they say, or if they don't respond, or if, you know, it happens multiple times, we're, we generally build up a wait list. And eventually we can easily just remove one team and replace it with a manager who's excited to play. And so you, as someone who's listening to this, and I'm sure will be an active manager, you can feel confident that you're going to be playing in a league with 
active managers in the worst case will even take over the team and do the minimum in order to make sure that the team is active so i think that's something that we offer that i know brian sometimes scoffs at me because i know like maybe i'm too obsessed with not having inactive managers but it's very important to me you are very obsessed with not having inactive managers which is a net plus for the cupful. Uh, I, I'll reframe some of what you said and just say, we send gentle reminders and we understand that life happens. So we're not going to hold a grudge. Well, I'm not going to hold a grudge. Elon does hold grudges, especially if you just abandon your team and don't respond to our messages. But so long as you're communicative and friendly, when we do get in touch, I don't think we're going to oh. have much of a problem. Yeah, Brian, if someone messages and says, hey, guys, I'm sorry, uh, like I can't manage my team anymore because I got a new promotion at work and I'm busy. I love this person. Like, thank you. You let me know. No, and I'll replace you. Like, no, I love this type of person. I don't like the people who have been, yeah, who, you're playing in a, we're living in a society here, okay? We're playing in the fantasy league. Who signs up for a league and then abandons their team without telling anyone? Rude, right? We can all agree on this. Well, a, a lot of uh, public leagues, you know, where that are free to join and open to everybody and not commission, not part of the cupful, have that happen all the time. They're full, like 75% those people. So that is, if you ever, like, if you think Elon's a great great guy and you want to get on his good side and you want i want elon to like me here's all you need to do sign up for the cup full do your draft about two weeks in send elon a note and say hey i joined but look i just can't keep things up can you find someone else to replace me elon's gonna remember your name and love you forever well, just for go <laughs> following those few easy i don't know if that's exactly what we want to encourage i think i'd rather just people play and have fun and do I'm well just, but okay I'm just giving the shortcut for yeah. people like Anyway, we're a super active league because we know that one or two inactive managers abandoning a matchup is going to have ripple effects across the whole league on all managers in the final standings. We want people and we encourage people and we have a lot of fun stuff going on on our Discord server and we're communicating through the year to make sure everyone's engaged from first week to the last so that everybody is always trying their best to make sure that the competition is fair all the way through. Yeah, like Edward just said in the chat, if you don't manage your roster, you're losing like 1.5 million good place points and you don't want that. <laughs> okay, so Brian, that's the cacuffle, okay? If, if you've been listening to this episode and you're intrigued, you've never heard of this league before and you want to join, like Brian said at the start, like anyone can join. Sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. Go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Once you sign up, you're going to be taken right to the registration form. And then basically the sign up deadline is September 13th. So you have plenty of time, but also at the same time, just register now. If you're not a patron right now, you can sign up to be a patron. You don't get charged until September 1st either way. So just get it, you know, check it off your to-do list, sign up to be a patron, register for the cupful, and then once the registration deadline passes, we're going to set up all the leagues and you'll get your league invite and we'll tell you how to get ready for your slow draft on Fantrax. And that's it. So come join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and you'll also get an invite to your division chat channel, dedicated channel for just your division and the Cupful Zone, where all Cupful managers talk on our Discord server. Also, if you just want to learn more about the Cupful again and see the rules, go to Cupful.com. That's K-K-U-P-F-L dot com uh, to learn so much more about how the league works. Exactly. And reach out to us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'll answer any questions happily. Uh, okay, so with that, Brian, we still got a couple minutes left. Why don't we just cover the latest news and notes from the NHL just to make sure we're totally up to date here. So we're transitioning from Kakuffle to a player that maybe do I want to draft in the Kakuffle? I'm not so sure. Let's talk about it. Tomas Tatar just signed with the New Jersey Devils two years, $4.5 million per year. Uh, that's a nice amount of money for a player who was getting healthy scratched by the Habs through their latest playoff run. Uh, but of course, before that, 
Tatar had a breakout 2019-20 season. He had 61 points in 68 games. That's a 74-point pace. He was amazing. But then he fell to only 30 points in 50 games for under a 50-point pace this past season. And then, like I said, he didn't even play in the playoffs. Also, this past season, his ice time fell to below like 15 minutes per game. His power play time fell. Basically, Ducharme and company just didn't like him anymore, and he fell off. Now he goes to the Devils, where you've got to imagine he'll have a solid shot at landing in the top six with either Hughes or Hishir as his center. I guess his main competition at wings would be like Sharon Govich, Yanni Kuokinen, who also just signed a new contract, by the way, uh, Jesper Bratt, maybe Pavel Zaka, though he could play center. But I'd assume he's not being paid 4.5 mil to be a bottom six power play two guy, right? Though I thought that about Mike Hoffman last year, and we saw what happened. Uh, so, Brian, do you think the stars are aligned for Tatar to have a bounce back season and maybe get back to being at least a 60 point guy with over a couple shots per game? Because those also tanked last year. Or are his numbers from last season maybe more likely to hold? He is 30 years old. Sometimes players just get worse as they age. Sometimes, almost all the time, players get worse as they age. But Tatar going to New Jersey is something I really like for player and team. It actually seems like a really clever combination to Tar and the Devils, where they're both getting something they need that they haven't had for a little while. And for the Devils, a team that's ranked about 25th in goal scoring over the last few years, they're getting a winger in Tatar who can score 20 or 25 goals and rack up assists too, which is a great way to support their star players who are both centermen, Jack Hughes and Nico Heeshier, who've both been on an island essentially since Taylor Hall left. Cal Palmieri was there and was fine, but he's also never been much of a creator, right? He'd be a, a shot taker and a goal scorer, but he's never had more than 27 assists in a season. And that was like five, six, seven years ago, not recently. So Kyle Palmieri, not known for making a lot of feeds. Tatar is known for making a lot of feeds. So he helps everyone in New Jersey, I think, by being someone who could be good for more than 30 assists if things go well. And New Jersey helps Tatar just by giving him another chance. He's had this kind of funny career. Elon, you know, we always had our eye on him in Detroit. And it took him a long time to break out there. And just as he was starting to play more and get more opportunity after years of waiting. And also he was languishing on a team that was like immediately post dynasty for the Red Wings, right? So they had the occasionally healthy Datsuk and Zetterberg. And that was it. And they had Tatar and Nyquist and Yurko, right? Those were supposed to be the next big Red Wings. And we've seen how that's played out. So just as Tatar was finally getting more opportunity in Detroit, he was dealt to Vegas for what everybody is still like, wow, that was a crazy price to pay. And it sure seemed crazy when Vegas decided to barely use him after acquiring him for, what was it, three picks, including one of them being a first rounder. So after he's in Vegas, Tatar goes off to Montreal, where he breaks out with that 60-point season you mentioned, followed up by 75-point pace in the COVID-shortened season, the one that was abbreviated because COVID was just beginning. But then, suddenly, poof, Montreal is suddenly trying to deal Tatar. Uh, And from that point forward... They didn't seem to have any real interest in using Tatar the way that they had been when he had been finding success. And they never really offered any rhyme or reason as to why the Habs decided that they didn't want to put Tatar in the same situations where he was doing so freaking well. I mean, he was still playing a lot with Gallagher and Deneau, and that was still a, a solid line. Not the same number of minutes, and it didn't seem like he was entrenched the way he had been, as we saw with him getting scratched later on in the season. So, look, 
These are a couple reasons to excuse Tatar's past performance, but they're also red flags that Tatar has now been on Vegas and Montreal, both of whom decided at the end of his time with them that we don't really want to use this guy anymore. And it's not great to see those red flags on a winger who turns 31 years old this season. But I am pleased to say that when Tatar was doing well before Montreal turned on him, his breakout seasons looked real. The 75-point pace one, that was thanks to some really great power play production. He had eight power play goals and 14 power play points in 60 games. He scored on 30% of the shots he took on the power play. So maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't quite get to a 75-point pace that season. If you regress some of his power play shooting, maybe it's more 65, 70 points. But that's still really good, Right. And so I really think that what he did was sustainable in his really successful seasons with Montreal. So now I'm looking for reasons to believe that Tatar's last season, where things didn't go so well, was just a blip and the aberration. And I actually can't really find one either. I'm like, oh, yeah, everything kind of adds up for Tatar's weak season, his weak final season in Montreal, too. So I think what I will do is I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, I'm chalking up last year to Tatar just not fitting the system too well and being a player who the Habs were trying to shove out the door. Um, So which is weird that they felt this way um, starting during the season where he had 61 points in 68 games. But I think I've gone on about that enough already. But this is where I hope that Tatar is a much better fit in New Jersey. He's with a team that appreciates and wants him. And Tatar can support and be supported by his sheer and Hughes down the middle. Hopefully get some top power play time. New Jersey needs Tatar. Tatar needs New Jersey. So I'm hoping for a very happy marriage here. I'm going to put him at about 60 points. And that's really just based on how successful, how offensive a team can New Jersey be this year. Like I said, they've been uh, like bottom quarter of the league in their production over the last three years. So let's hope that Tatar helps them take off. But I'm not all the way there thinking, oh yeah, New Jersey's got all their offense solved. They're going to be even a mid-pack team this year. I need to wait and see on that. So there is some downside for Tatar. If they're not there offensively, that's not great. But there is some upside if they are. So I'm kind of hedging by just going in the middle 60 points, Tatar being a winger that New Jersey really needs and who I think they're going to need to rely on. Yeah, and don't forget New Jersey also brought in Dougie Hamilton, the big prize of free agency. So hopefully that's going to help their power play. As long as Tatar could get on that top power play, I think it'll be a lot stronger having Dougie Hamilton. Also, Hamilton's just going to play a lot of even strength too and hopefully drive more offense. That's why they're spending nine plus million a year for the next seven years, whatever it is, on Dougie. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think around 60 points makes sense. By the way, the return for that trade with Vegas. So what Vegas sent to trade were three picks that turned into Joe Valeno, who's probably going to start actually playing as a regular next season. So he's a guy that has some ups side a player named Zachary Galanto I've never heard of and then a guy named Jonathan Berggren who I have heard people talk about so we'll we're still yet to find out if Vegas paid too much in that trade but we'll find out in a couple years once these Detroit prospects actually start making it to the team Uh, so of course if Tatar is going to take one of these top six wing spots that does mean one player is going to drop out of the top six. And so maybe someone does take it. So let's just take a quick look at the fantasy impact for everyone else. I mean, one player that jumps out to me is Pavel Zaka. Last year had this breakout season. I don't even think we talked about him enough on the podcast. Right? He had 35 points in 50 games. It's a 57-point pace. His career high before that was a 40-point pace the year before. This is a guy 
high pedigree, right? He was the sixth overall pick in the 2015 draft where McDavid and Eichel went one, two, just four picks later, Pavel Zaka went off the board. Brian, I know you hate it when I say that a pick is looking like a bust, but uh, this pick for New Jersey was looking like a bust for a while. Like after he went at six, seven through 10 were Provorov, Wierenski, Timo Meyer, and then Miko Ranson in Colorado just nailed that pick at 10. Uh, so Brian, are you of the belief that this 57 point pace was like Zaka's coming out party as a viable piece in fantasy? Or was he just benefiting from increased time on ice and opportunity? Like, remember, he sure was out for a lot of the season. And now with uh, Tatar in the picture, I could imagine a situation where Zaka just goes down to become the third line center or winger, you know, and loses a lot of that opportunity to produce like he did. That's where I am at on Zaka. There were times last year where it seemed like his scoring streaks were just being powered by unsustainable percentages. And there were others where I did pause and think, "Hmm, maybe he is for real. But ultimately, I think Zaka ends up out of the top six. It's just my guess because he's the only other natural centerman that I see on their roster who can step in on the third line. I see uh, that Kuokinen and Sharangovich both have center eligibility too. Uh, like I'm looking at Cap Friendly on the Devil's Death Stride. I see that they both play center, but that wasn't their job last year, whereas Zaka has already played center for a couple seasons with the Devil. So I, I could see things being fluid and the Devil's using, you know, hey, we've got five wingers who belong in our top six, which are the best four. Let's try out some different combinations. I could see that happening. But if you, you had to make me guess right now, which you are, I'm going to guess that Pavel Zaka is the odd one out because he's the one who's most capable of helping the third line. I see. Okay, they do have a couple of prospects, though. We'll have to see, like, Jesper Boakvist, like Michael McLeod. These are guys who could come up and be, like, the third and fourth line centers, allowing Zaka to maybe be a winger in the top six, playing with Hishir, let's say, Brat. And then you have Hughes with Shrangovich and Tatar. There is a situation where Zaka could be in that situation again and on the top power play because he did have this breakout season, right? And the Devils did use a high pick on him once upon a time. So I definitely don't think he's a guy I'm going to let go undrafted. But like you say, Brian, there's also a lot of downside there if he ends up being more of a depth guy. So he's the kind of guy that I'd be very happy to get with one of the last picks in my draft as a flyer but uh yeah i'm not gonna use a high pick on him expecting another 60 point season almost 60 points is definitely too rich for zaka i would see 50 as a success maybe he can push to 55 but i i would certainly 60 points puts him in the same sphere or tier as tomas tatar and i see a pretty clear distinction between tatar and zaka I mean, I saw a pretty clear distinction between the two of them last season with Zaka being the one that was a lot more valuable in fantasy. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but Tatar wasn't wanted by his team last season. He's wanted by this team. I I, I really hope it goes well. I, I guess the flip side is it could be like Dadanov coming to Ottawa, right? Uh, except Dadanov is coming off of a success. But, uh, you know, it just wasn't a fit with his new team. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that the Devils and Tatar work better. As you can hear, I have faith that it will. Well, now that you say that, I feel like I just want to say I'm hoping that Zaka continues to do really well. Because <laughs> well, I hope so, too. I hope <laughs> everybody gets 75 points. Of course, that'd be great. Uh, all right, so let's move on to another big signing. Uh, we talked about the Arizona Coyotes, as we talked about every single team, and we, we made a mistake. I'll admit it. I, we forgot to mention that one player that they signed in the offseason is this guy, Dmitry Yaskin, out of the KHL. And if the name sounds familiar, it's because he started his career with the Blues, uh, playing six seasons. We talked about him on Keeping Carlson now and again. Uh, then he went to Washington 2018-19. He was never really an impact guy, though. He never produced better than a 27-point pace season, pace for less than 20 points in each of his last four NHL seasons. But then he went over to the KHL, and he absolutely dominated in the past two seasons. He scored 31 goals and 63 
43 points in 58 games in 2019-20. That put him two goals behind only Kirill Kaprizov for the league lead in goals. Then last year in 2020-21, he scored 38 goals in 59 games that led the league in goals, was actually second all time in goals in the KHL in a season behind only Sergei Mozyakin's 48 goals in 2016-17. So Dmitry Yaskin has built a name for himself in these last couple of years. Now he comes to Arizona. Brian, any sense of where we should expect Gaskin to slot into the lineup? And do you think, to me, it seems like obviously, like it wouldn't even be hard for him to crush his previous NHL highs, which, like I said, were so low. Like, I don't know. How does this happen, first of all? How does it, I guess, obviously, it's a different league, different format, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, what do you think for Yaskin next year? Like, one thing I will note is when he was in the NHL, he had 207 hits in 76 games with the Blues back in 2017-18. So this guy is a huge hitter. If he could also score some goals, like, all of a sudden, this is like a OV light, right? Someone who could like, be a real key for you in your bangers leagues. I'm not expecting you to say that Yaskin's going to be the next OV at 28 years old. But, like, is he someone? that you'd be drafting or is he someone that maybe like watch list the best and that's why you listen to keeping carlson to hear that dimitri yaskin even if we're not sure what he can produce offensively he does have this hitting reputation that is going to help him give him some automatic value hopefully in bangers leagues if he is still that kind of player on his second visit to the nhl and of course you mentioned, Elon, we've talked about Yaskin on the show before. Uh, over the course of a couple of years, we did bring him up here and there. And when we did, it was to mention that Yaskin had shown some offensive promise and he could be in line for a turn in the top six because of an injury or trying something new in St. Louis. But Yaskin never got a sustained turn there. So for anybody who's looking at Yaskin's numbers from his first stint in the league with St. Louis... Don't get so discouraged about what you see. To really paint the picture, over his final three years in St. Louis, Yaskin's most common forward line mates were, in order, from most played with to least played with, Kyle Brodziak, Patrick Berglund, Magnus Pajarvi, Scotty Upshaw, Yuri Laterra, uh, Vladimir Sabatka, Robbie Fabry, David Backus, Ivan Barbashev, and then... Then the first interesting name, Braden Shen, who Yaskin only played with for 190 minutes at five on five over the last three seasons he spent in St. Louis. And I don't think that Yaskin was playing with these guys because he wasn't good enough for the top six. Rather, I think he was just defensively responsible and St. Louis liked him a lot as a checking winger, someone who can, I guess, throw a lot of hits. But now he's in Arizona with perhaps a chance to get into a scoring role and looking at him in a vacuum i wonder like i'm gonna bring up dadanov again just because dadanov also toiled in north america for a few years before lighting it up in the khl and then returning at age 28 to do the same with barkov in florida of course the big and crucial difference is there's no barkov in arizona for asking to play with he's got uh, at center schmaltz Kristen Dvorak, who's rumored to be traded consistently, Barrett Hayton, Jay Beagle, and some other dudes are the center depth in the desert. I'm trying to think of a player who came over from the KHL for this, like for this roster in Arizona, and and I can't. You know, it's like, so when we're thinking of, uh, you know, your Panarins and Dadanovs and Kaprizovs, Yaskin is not the same because they all went to situations where they could succeed. I don't know, man. In Arizona, so few Coyotes were rosterable last year. They're even worse this year. So I don't know how Yaskin succeeds offensively unless he can put a line on his back. So I'm going to keep an eye on him to see how the first couple weeks go and for sure keep an eye on his hits numbers too. But I'm not going to reach for him in my drafts. 
You know, uh, Kaprizov last year had his most common sentiment being Victor Rask. I don't know if Nick Schmaltz is that wor- uh, worse well, of an option. No, uh, fair point. But the rest of the Minnesota Wild roster was better than what the rest of the Coyotes roster I don't know. Was. I think the, and- the Coyotes have a better defenseman in Jacob Chikrin, better than anyone that Minnesota had to play with on the power play. So you're right. Arizona's a golden situation for Dmitry Yaskin. He's going to put up Kaprizov numbers there. Way to go. You proved it. Well, I'm just saying, like, you said you've never seen someone do it. I think Kaprizov was just so amazing that he was able to not have the best line mates and still produce. I don't know if Yaskin is that amazing. I just know that Yaskin has almost broken the record for most goals in the KHL. But we've also seen him stink in the NHL. And like you've said, it's been on situations where he won't be given a chance to succeed. We think he will be given a chance to succeed here, but he'll also have to do a lot of the play driving himself, like you say, because who knows who he's playing with. But Kaprizov did pretty well. I'm very open-minded. I don't think you can draw a great parallel between the Arizona roster that Yaskin gets to play with and the Minnesota roster that Kaprizov got to play with. But I guess we'll find out. I want to make all the analogies now. Maybe Kevin Fiala is like Clayton Keller. Okay, Zuccarello is like... Who else is there? Oh, like uh, Phil Kessel. Uh, This is working out perfectly. It's a perfect analogy. Okay, Uh, you heard it here first. Arizona is making the playoffs this season like the Wild did last. And what happened in the playoffs? The Wild were very competitive, so Arizona is going to be competitive in the playoffs too. You heard it from Elon Dabrowski. All right. I'm just I'm just responding to what you're saying. I think that, like uh, Pavel Zaka, I'm not reaching for Yaskin in my drafts, but I'm also not letting him go undrafted. Like, I'd love to take a late round. Obviously, we'll see what happens in training camp, and we'll see how Yaskin is doing. But, like, I think he has upside. Like, we've seen that he has upside from him scoring the most goals ever, aside from, was it Sergei Mozyakin in the KHL? So this guy can score goals. How many rounds later would you draft him compared to where you wanted to? Because I wanted to draft Kaprizov last year. I, I missed him in most leagues because he went uh, one or two rounds sooner than I wanted. But how soon are you, like, relative to Kaprizov, where are you drafting Yaskin? So don't get me wrong. I think Kaprizov is, like, a million times better than Yaskin. Okay. Like, it's not, like, I was just comparing the situations they went to and that Kaprizov was able to succeed. But, uh, no, Yaskin is not someone, again, he, like, Kaprizov I knew was going to be awesome last year. Maybe I didn't think he would be, like, this awesome, but I knew he'd be someone that I, if I could get, he'll be on my team all season. I wasn't thinking that he'll become, like, a free agent at some point. Yaskin, you know, could be good, could not. So it's at the point of my draft where, like, the way I play fantasy is I like to have a lot of swings with my later picks, assuming that I'm going to be doing a lot of streaming and looking at free agents to start the year anyways to try to find those gems so i'd rather not use my late picks on like guys who are boring that i just know are going to be a solid 50 to 55 point guy i'd rather take a swing and yaskin right now to me looks like someone to take a swing on but we'll have to see what happens yeah uh let's finish off really quickly um this isn't a change but i just thought it was interesting that darnell nurse signed an eight-year 9.25 million extension with the oilers after that amazing season last year but like wow i did not expect nurse to be the fifth highest paid d-man in the league which he will be when his contract takes effect in 2022-23 he'll be just behind uh, eric carlson uh drew dowdy zach Wierenski, who also just signed a contract and seth jones who just signed a contract all of these contracts by the way that have just been signed don't even take effect next year it's the year after where all of a sudden all these defensemen are gonna be making nine plus million all of a sudden by the way i've just realized making like jacob chikrin i think might be one of the most valuable defensemen in cap leagues at this point because like everyone else is making nine plus million including kale mccarr who signed earlier i'm sure quinn hughes is going to get a similar amount but yeah, looking at Darnell Nurse, like he was one of the top D in fantasy last year, if not the top D, especially in bangers, like 16 goals, 36 points in 56 games. That's a 23 goal, 53 point pace, along with his like solid shots and hits and blocks numbers. Just amazing in fantasy. Brian, 
Is he really this good, though, to deserve this monster contract? I know the answer. I've been on Twitter. I haven't been in a hole. I know that people are saying that the Oilers are nuts for signing this kind of contract with Nurse. But anyways, as far as fantasy goes, do you think that last season, was it all possibly sustainable? Or do you think that, like, I'm looking at the shooting percentage and right away going, like, there's no way he's going to score this many goals again. But is there any reason to think he could do it again? You've been on Twitter finding out that Darnell Nurse's contract is apparently bad, but have you been in a room with Ken Holland, Elon, to really know the full story? Hey, I mean, I can't say I have, unfortunately. Maybe one day I'll get an invite after he listens to this podcast where we compliment him so much. Well, yeah, that's a different podcast, actually. It's not happening here. I I think I'll answer your question about Nurse being worth his contract with another question. You know, like, as the guys we've had time to watch after signing mega deals have Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson, who both seemed... At the, well, maybe both were a little rich, but still, they both seem like decent bets to justify their contracts. They Have they been good enough to justify their own contracts? I'm going to answer my question with a question and say, no, they haven't even been close. So what is Darnell Nurse going to have to do to live up to this? Like with Doughty and Carlson, I could have at least told you what I expected from them. I can do the same with Dougie Hamilton's contract too. But with Nurse, I, I'm not sure. Like I can't imagine a world where he does add up all of what he contributes to that number. Um, as Low Tide, Alan Mitchell pointed out on The Athletic, for defense alone, the market standard might be that Adam Pellick contract with the Isles that he signed for, uh, what was it, just under $6 million. And Darnell Nurse is not Adam Pellick defensively. Um, you know, he's helped out by, like, Mike Smith was doing amazing last year, and I think that helped Nurse's numbers look better or reflect better on him than he might have earned. But I think the ultimate question is you asked, can Darnell Nurse be good enough on defense and earn his keep via offense? And I see a couple red flags around his 53-point pace last season that tells me I'm not sure Darnell Nurse can earn his offensive keep. First, as you guessed, Elon, he scored uh, 12 goals at 5-on-5, but they came at a 9% shooting percentage compared to his usual 5-on-5 shooting percentage, which is closer to 4%. Second, Darnell Nurse's on-ice shooting percentage was a career high, nearly 11%. And you'd say, sure, he plays with Connor McDavid. Of course it's high. That's normal. And you'd be right for a lot of players who play with elite superstars, except that Darnell Nurse has also spent substantial time with Connor McDavid the two years before this last one and has never seen a non-ice shooting percentage above 9%, let alone close to 11%. So those are two reasons why Darnell Nurse probably overperformed last season and he only got 53 points. So I think it's going to be an uphill climb for him to get back up to 50 points. But the good news for fantasy managers in leagues that count hits and blocks and shots is that he generally does enough in those other categories to, to allow you to still find a lot of value in him if Nurse can even get to 40 or 45 points. Anything more than 45 points would be absolute gravy. It's not something I'm counting on, though. Yeah, me neither. So obviously, he's going to go super high in drafts. You're going to have to decide if he's worth it at the time that he's getting taken in your league. And I think if people are expecting, if people are just like ranking people by how they did last year, Nurse is going like way higher than I'm willing to draft him at. Just because like you said, all these percentages are a bit too high to expect them to sustain for another year. Okay, Brian, so that is the episode. I'm going to go back to the beach in just a sec. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I hope that people enjoyed this show, learned about the Cupful, are going to consider signing up for the Cupful 
helpful. So again, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get your information about how to become a patron and then join the Cupful or cupful.com. If you want to get more information about the Cupful itself, we're going to link to all this in the show notes. Don't you worry. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you'd be so kind. But with that, Brian, I think I'm done asking for things. So why don't we cue the outro music and then you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, Special thanks to uh, a few patrons, Kevin Bear, Jeremy Versillo, and John Newhold for helping us think through all of our cupful launch ideas and implement a bunch more fun stuff that's on its way. We really appreciate your help. Logo art by BrandonLeave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job, as always, Brian. Uh, I guess we've got more shows coming soon. Soon we're going to start our like big heavy hitters of shows, right? Like more goalies board and looking at Yahoo rankings. Like it's all coming very soon. We've also got some beat writer interviews coming. Really looking forward to talking to you through all the fantasy stuff as we head towards the season. Yes, the NHL season is coming, which means the Cupful season is coming. And like the Cupful, please keep doing everything you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>